Well, good morning, Cornerstone. My name's uh, George, for those that don't know me, and we're going to be carrying on our series looking at life intention. So if you haven't been here the last few weeks, we've been looking at these topics that create tension in the Christian life. So one of the topics we looked at, God is completely sovereign over this world, yet man has responsibility. We looked at Jesus being fully God, yet he's also fully man. We looked at the fact that God is a wrathful God, yet he is full of mercy. Last week we looked at, we are sinners as Christians, but we are actually saints. And so we're continuing those thoughts as we look this week at faith versus works. So I'm going to pray for us as we start as well, just to get my heart right before God and to help us. So Father, I just pray that you'd help us to listen. It's hard on screens, it's different environments. So Jesus, would you speak? Would you give us help? Holy Spirit, come and illuminate your word to us. Speak to us, help us in this tension. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Have you ever struggled with feeling dry in the Christian life? Feeling like you're you're doing loads of good things for God, but inside it just doesn't match up. You don't feel those emotions or that love towards God. It's just a dry duty. Outwardly, everyone thinks that you're doing great in the Christian life, but inside you know that you are dead. Or maybe there's somebody out there that thinks the Christian life is all tied up. You just pray a prayer, sit back and trust Jesus. It doesn't really affect the rest of your life. It's a bit like your, your, your wallet. You've got a kind of credit card. It just sits there. It's like a ticket to heaven that just sits in your wallet and doesn't really affect the rest of your life. Or maybe, as we looked at last week, you think... Well, we are saints, so it doesn't matter what I do. If I'm a saint in Christ already, it doesn't really matter how I live the Christian life. And so we come to today's tension. If you can relate to those stories that I just shared there, then you need to listen up to what God says to you in his word today. Because there is tension here. There's tension that is it just a life of faith? Or are our works, what we do for Jesus, does that somehow qualify us for God? Or let me put it as the Bible puts it. In Romans 3, 28, we have on one side from Paul, he says this, For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Romans 3, 28. So we are are made right with God apart from doing anything. It's it's by faith, says Paul. But then you go to the book of James, chapter 2, verse 24, and he says this, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Hang on a minute, Paul, you're you're saying it's faith alone, and, and James, you're saying, no, 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 it's works that justify us. What's going on? Or or let me put it a different way. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, For by grace you have been saved. This is Paul again. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works. He explicitly says there, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
Well, there's one side. And and then on the other side, you've got Jesus himself in Matthew 7 saying this, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, the one who does the will of my Father. So the person that does works, he's the one that will be in heaven, says Jesus himself. So you seem to have these two opposing sides of the argument. So Paul seems to say it's faith. So we're going to have a look at, well, what is that faith, Paul? Help us to understand what that is. And then we're going to look at, well, what are the works that James speaks of? So let's have a look then at the first point, faith. To be made right with God, I just need to believe some truths, right? Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, and please, I encourage you to, if your house is anything like ours on a a Sunday, there's a baby crying, there's um, lateness even in your living room to come to the service, and things can be a bit hectic and distracting, but can I encourage you to pick up your Bible now, to open it up, and to engage with God's Word, to, to tell your heart to connect with what God is saying to you. As we turn to the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse 21. We're going to go there. And just as you're uh, going to that passage, there's a couple of words here that I think are just helpful to get some clarity on before we read this passage. So the first word is justification. This word will come up in this passage. And justification simply means to be acquitted, to be cleared of all charges. Some people say the word justified, it's helpful to think just if I'd not sinned justified. That's what justified means, is that it's like you haven't sinned. It's like you're innocent. So when you see the word justified or justifier in this passage, that's what it means. Righteousness is similar. It's a kind of judicial word. It's when the court judge, the actual judge in a courtroom, declares you innocent or righteous. You are righteous, says the judge. And in this case, as we read the passage, it's the highest judge in the universe. God himself declares a righteousness. So it's powerful. When he says something is righteous, it really is righteous. So that's what righteousness means. So let's have a look then at this passage. So Romans uh, chapter 3, verses um, 21 down to chapter 4, verse 8. That's where we're going. So read along with me. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The law being the Ten Commandments, or as Jesus summed up the law, love God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. That's what Paul's referring to. There's, There's a right standing with God that is apart from doing good things. He goes on, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, they they point forward to another way of being right with God. Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned. We looked at that last week. We're all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God and are justified. Remember, just if we've never sinned, by his grace as a gift, it's a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, a turning away of God's wrath, by his blood, to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded, but what kind of law? By law of works. No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? That's you and me. Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. Who will justify the circumcised? By faith. And the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Do you see that passage is so clear, isn't it? Verse 21, a righteousness that comes from God. The right standing that is a, is a gift from God given to us. And it's apart from the law. That same verse says it's, a, it's apart from doing good works. It's apart from trying to keep God's law. It, it doesn't come that way. The right standing with God doesn't come that way. There is a different way. And that's what the Old Testament was pointing towards. The law and doing good things is not bad. But that's not the way that we receive this right standing with God. That's what Paul is, is arguing here. He says that we get that right standing with God through faith. Through faith. How do we get it? Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ. For all who believe. It's another way of saying faith, isn't it? And how do we get it? It's a, it's a gift, says verse 24. It's a gift. And imagine paying someone for a gift. I don't know, at Christmas you get given an, an iPad by someone, the latest iPad, and you want to say to them, well, here's five pounds, I want to pay you for it. Well, no, it wouldn't become a gift. And that's what Paul argues later on. A gift, by its very definition, is, is freely given. We don't pay for it. If we do, then it becomes not a gift. You see, faith itself is, is even a gift from God. It says in Scripture that God gives us that faith. He enables us to believe. And then notice in, in verse 24, we are justified by his grace. Just if we'd never sinned at all. How do we receive it? Verse 25, look at verse 25, whom God put forward. How do we, how do we receive that um, 
forgiveness, we receive it by faith. It's just littered, isn't it, this passage with that word. Justifier again as well in verse 26. Jesus or Christ or God is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. How do we receive it? Verse 26, faith in Jesus. And Paul, Paul, tell us, how do we, how do we definitely not get it? How do we definitely not get it? Well, verse 27, he tells us, it's um, what kind of law? Is it by a law of works? No, he says explicitly, it's not by works. It's not by what you do. He couldn't be any clearer, could he? It's by faith. It's definitely not by works, says Paul. We are justified again, verse 28. I'm sorry to ram this home, but I just think it's so important that we see how much Paul is trying to ram it home to us. Justified again by what? Again, by faith, apart from works. Verse 30, by what are we justified? Again, really, George? How many times does Paul mention this word faith? Verse 30 again, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised through faith. And then he goes on, doesn't he, in chapter 4, to use the story of Abraham, showing us that Abraham was not justified by his works. And who is Abraham? He's a great character, isn't he, for Paul to turn to, especially with his Jewish audience. But Abraham was the, the founder of the faith. He was the one who started it all. God promised to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to cause many people, a whole nation, to be born through you. And so that's where Paul goes. Let's look at Abraham and the promise Paul references here in Romans. See that um, verse 3, for what does the scripture say? And then in your Bibles, you should have a little letter next to that quotation. If you follow that letter down to the bottom and pick it out, it tells you where that reference is. And it tells me in my Bible that it's Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. And that story is when Abraham is old in years. His wife is old in years. And God takes him outside and says, look at the stars in the sky. It's nighttime and, and it's not like today with all this light pollution. And you look up at the stars and there's millions of stars. And he says, count the stars if you can. <laughs> That's how many people are going to come through you. What a promise. And he says, you are going to have a child. Your wife, who is well past childbearing age, is going to bear a son. And what does our verse say? What verse does Paul quote? And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. It was Abraham believing in God's promise that received then the right standing with God. Abraham believed what God said. That seems to be a real key for us, doesn't it? It's believing what God says to us. And it was a promise that God gave to Abraham. Abraham believed a promise made to him. And remember, Jesus said that, didn't he? In the Gospels, the work of God is this, to believe in the one whom he has sent. That is our job. That is our role, says Paul in this passage, is, is to have faith, is to trust what God is saying to us, to trust his promise that I have supplied Jesus to you. 
Jesus has come and died and been resurrected on your behalf. Trust and believe the promise to you by faith. So what does this mean then? Do I just need to believe something? A bit like, you know, um, I believe that Queen Elizabeth is, is the Queen of England. Great. And just crack on with my life. Just get on with it. I believe that. That's great. Is, is that what is being spoken of here? Or let me put it biblically, because in the book of James, he says this, doesn't he? Look, even the demons believe, but that doesn't save them. So there's a different kind of faith going on here than merely just a, an assent to some truth, just believing a right set of statements. There's something deeper. So what is this belief? What is this faith? What is this trust that Paul is speaking of in this passage? What does that look like? Because if Paul is saying this is the key, then we really need to understand what faith is, don't we? So what is it, Paul? What are you talking about here? Well, if you look up the word faith that Paul uses repeatedly through this passage, it's the Greek word pistis. And this is the definition of the word pistis or faith. It says this, listen, it's always a gift from God and never something that can be produced by people. In short, pistis or faith for the believer is God's divine persuasion. God's divine persuasion. And therefore, it's distinct from human belief or confidence, yet it does involve human belief. He goes on, the Lord continuously births faith in the yielded believer, the surrendered believer, so they can know what he prefers, the persuasion of his will. That's what faith is. It's being persuaded by God. So his spirit comes to us and persuades us that what God is saying is true and right and trustworthy. That is the kind of faith that Paul is talking about here. Not simply ticking a box of belief, but trusting that what God is saying persuades us. So we could say that faith is the confidence that things have been promised are going to come true. So God has promised that you are saved by Jesus' death and resurrection. And we're persuaded and we trust that and we believe it's true and base our life on that. Then Paul is saying that's the faith that saves you. Well, let me put it another way. A classic illustration is the chair illustration, isn't it? Most of you have probably sat on a sofa this morning or in a chair. You exercised faith. You came into that room, you saw the chair, and you trusted its promise to you to hold you and not to leave you ended up on the floor. And you exercised your faith by trusting that and sitting in the sofa. And hopefully you are still uh, off the floor in that sofa. You see, that's what faith is. It's trusting a promise to you. So Jesus is, is not like the queen, is he, that simply gives us a statement about his identity. No, he gives us a promise. He says, I am the king of the universe. I have come to do this thing for you, both now and in the future. Do you believe that? The queen's not asking you to believe anything, is she? In fact, it makes little difference. But Jesus is saying what you believe about him and who he is makes all the difference in the world. So the main thrust here is that we are saved by trusting in Christ's work not our own work that's what Paul is saying by placing our faith in Jesus we are made right with God 
and we are justified, as if we'd never sinned. That's good news this morning. So that's why we can say last week, we are saints by faith. So you are inwardly persuaded by what God has promised you is true. And let me just close this little section with one of my favourite quotes from Charles Spurgeon to kind of sum this up. He says this, My hope lives not because I am not a sinner, but because I am a sinner for whom Christ died. My trust is not that I am holy, but that being unholy, he is my righteousness. My faith rests not upon what I am or shall be or feel or know, but in what Christ is, in what he has done and in what he is now doing for me. Right then, let's have a look then at our second point. So works. So it doesn't matter what I do. (laughs) I'm saved by faith. Just need to trust, just need to believe. That's it. it. It's done and finished, isn't it? Well, we can't move there so fast. At Cornerstone Church, we are a reformed church. 500 years ago, they were reformers that, that changed the outlook of the church. And one of the five key claims of the Reformation is that it's faith alone. That, that what we just looked at, really, it's, it's faith alone. But I wonder, did they miss these verses in the book of James? Let's have a read of some of these uh, verses in the book of James. So take your Bible and turn to James chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 26. 14 to 26. Let me read this for us. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Wow. Doesn't that just go straight in and attack everything that I've just said? James says that faith without works is dead. Boom, he opens up verse 14. If we see someone in our midst, says James, and we we don't help them, they're, they're a person in need, and we just say, go well and be on your way, well, I'm not sure if you're saved, says James. And there's that verse 19 that that even the demons believe and shudder. 
You could say, look, you have all your doctrines right about God. You, you tick all the, the, the doctrines. You're reformed. You're, you're a Calvinist. You read your Bible every hour. You can explain sanctification in your sleep, but none of that will help you, says James. That doesn't save you. As if to further tighten up this, this tension, he ramps up the tension. He goes to the same illustration of Abraham and almost seems to appear to come out with a different conclusion, doesn't he? It's the same illustration that Paul went to, Abraham. But please note where Paul goes in the story and where James goes in the story of Abraham. You see, James talks about some years later, Isaac, his son, has been born and he's going to take him up a mountain and sacrifice him. This is years later. So actually, James is, is giving us a slightly different angle. And even through Abraham's life, we know by this point, as he goes to sacrifice his son on that mountain, that he's had lots of doubts along the way. Remember, he let his wife down. He didn't protect his wife, didn't trust God to protect them. He's had lots of doubts, Abraham. So that can't quite be what James is saying. There's something going on here, but he points, James, to the story where Isaac, his son, Abraham's son, was taken to that mountain, ready to be sacrificed. And don't worry, God didn't let him. But James points to that action as a demonstration of his faith, because he says that in verse 22. Do you see that word? You see that faith was active along with his works. There's, a, there's an action to faith, James is saying. It's not just belief, it's, it, it produces something, James is saying. And he uses strong language, doesn't he, James? Verse 20, do you want to be shown, you foolish person? Seems quite strong, but I think we agree with James, really. Last uh, week or week before, we heard um, Elon's baptism, didn't we? We heard him come and, and testify. But imagine if Elon had stood up and shared his story and said something like this. When I started believing in Jesus, nothing happened in my life. There were no changes. It had no impact on my life whatsoever. Now, for that reason, I'm standing here as an unchanged man and I want to dedicate my life to no changes. <laughs> you know, when I say that, it sounds foolish, doesn't it? And that's what James is saying, you know. When, when you have a faith, it, it, of course it's going to change. Of course it's going to work out in your life. And that's why even we stand up and testify our baptism and say, look what God has done in my life. He's changed me. He's done something in me. You see, when we encounter Jesus and realize who he is and what he's done for us, it changes everything. It changes our whole reality. It changes our view of life. It changes how we relate to others, how we want to live for him. It changes everything. And that is what James is pointing to here. But I fear as we read this passage in James, some of you might begin to think, oh my goodness, I've got to do work, so I'm not, I'm not doing enough works, and I need to go out and maybe join the local soup kitchen and, and start a ministry, and those are the sorts of things that James is talking about, but no. Sorts of things that James is talking about is, think back to the Sermon on the Mount that we did earlier in the year. These are the sort of works that James is pointing to, to be peacemakers, to be poor in spirit, says the Sermon on the Mount, to be salt and light, 
to not be a people that are anxious, to be a generous people, a giving people, to be people that love our neighbour. These are the sort of works that, that James has in mind. When we have a faith in Christ, it, it outworks in the way that we are, our reality and, and how we view life and how we view others around us. Or think of the, the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. These are the kind of works of God that, that James has in mind. And James isn't arguing for salvation, but he's arguing what saving faith actually looks like in the life of the believer. That's the argument. It's, it's, it's the same coin with two different sides. It's the same thing that, that Paul and James are, are talking about, but from different angles, if you like. So Martin Luther, one of the great reformers, said this, so I know that they read the book of James. He says, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Did you hear that? We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. And so the Bible is, is full of this mode of communication, isn't it? Think of the letters in the New Testament. So often the writer will start with, this is your identity. This is who you are in Christ. This is what Jesus has done for you. This is his love towards you. This is how you get that righteousness by faith. So now that's who you are, then this is how you're to live as a Christian. And the, the second half of the letter is often about how that works out in your life. Do you see this is the mode of communication and that effectively is what Paul and James are doing. Paul is saying, this is how you're made right with God. This is your right standing. And James is saying, and this is how it will work out in your life. This is what it will do to you if you have that kind of faith. So they're saying the same thing. Think of that verse I quoted earlier in Ephesians. For it's by grace you've been saved. That was written by Paul. But he actually goes on to say that there are good works that God has prepared in advance for you. So he agrees with James. It's not that they're pitted together. It's not that this is a, a contradiction in Scripture. It's different angles on the same thing. And we're even told through Scripture that as we do these good works, we'll receive a reward in heaven as we step out for God. And that's not a kind of reward when we get to heaven, when we go, oh, how comes he's got that and I haven't got that? It's not an envious kind of reward. I imagine there's someone that you helped in your gospel community that, that needed some help or needed some money and you, you gave them some money or you brought them a Bible because they couldn't afford it and they began to learn more about Jesus. Or maybe you've given something to, to somebody and you've shared the gospel with them along the way and then you've not seen them again and, and then you get to heaven and they come up to you and they're dancing and saying, yes, I'm here because of that moment that you did that good thing for me that God had prepared for you to do. That'll be a reward, won't it? So it's a blessing when we step out for God. This isn't like um, chores that your parents ask you to do when you're growing up. And you're like, oh, God, have I got to do this? Have I got to do some good stuff? No, it's a delight. It's where the blessing is. It's where the joy is as we step out and serve in this way. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. It's just like a given. It's just what's going to happen. You are a, a new creation. 
in Christ and it's just what you're going to do. If you truly believed, you see, if there was a son of God that came and saved you from the wrath to come, that loved you, delighted in you, sings over you, wouldn't that cause you to sing and to dance and, and just want to be joyfully helping others? Right, so, so George, I, I get it, okay, so, so what, we go out this week and, and we do loads of good stuff and we set up a soup kitchen, we, we start a new ministry and we, we, so long as we see good stuff in, in our lives, then, then we're doing all right and we know we're saved. I look at my good works, I'm saved, I'm all right. No, <laughs> if that's what you're hearing, that's, that's not what's happening here. Because think of Jesus with the Pharisees. They were pretty good people, weren't they? doing lots of good stuff, but think of his warning. Listen to this in Matthew 7, 22. He said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do, didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do miracles? They're good works, aren't they? But he'll say, I didn't know you. So it can't just be that we just go out and do good works and that will mean that we have this saving faith. There was not a true faith in those Pharisees, was there? That's what Jesus was saying to them. And that's what he's saying to those people that call him Lord, Lord. They're trusting in their works. They're not really putting their faith in Jesus. And the Pharisees, by way, who had a lump of good works, they were the ones that knew their Bible inside out. They knew the scriptures. Turned up at the synagogue faithfully week by week. Gave their tithes. Did all those good things. But those are the people that Jesus challenged. He said they look good on, on the outside, but inside, in here, there was, there was no inward change. Isn't that a challenge? Especially at the moment, we can come on Zoom, can't we? We can, I don't know if you've seen the touch-up appearance function on Zoom. I've obviously got that on, on my Zoom. <laughs> you know, we can, we can mask over, we can pretend that we're Christians, we can look good on the outside, but inwardly we can just be dead to God, can't we? And that's the problem here. The tension here is we can have a kind of works-based mentality which excludes us from being saved. And on the other side, we can have this faith with no works. We kind of just believe in a set of doctrines, but really it doesn't work out in our life. Do you see the danger that we could fall into on either side? And can you see this is really showing us it's a heart issue. It's not simply just we can tick a box or do this or that or the other. It's looking inward. Where are, where are our hearts? So what does this look like in our context? Let's bring it closer to home now. Think of yourself as a car. And on your dashboard, you've got some warning lights. This is your life. And on your dashboard, you've got these two different warning lights. One warning light is a picture of a tree with no fruit on it. This is the person that has mental assent to the truth of the gospel. But there's no difference in your life. The other warning light is an apple tree with strawberries on it. <laughs> this is a kind of illustration taken from Paul Tripp. But this is the person that's trying to use works to justify yourself. 
A bit like sticking strawberries on an apple tree, trying to make it look like there's fruit in your life, but really those pieces of fruit are not attached to the tree. And eventually they'll just get shown up as they rot and die on that tree. Eventually it shrivels up and dies. So these are the two two sides that we can fall down. The issue here is a heart issue. You can have faith that you mentally ascend to, but no heart change. And in the Old Testament, we're told that we need a new heart. In fact, in Ezekiel, it says this, I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. I'll take out your heart of stone and I will put a heart of flesh. And that's what we need, an, an inward change that really we can't produce ourselves but it comes from God. Paul and James are saying the same thing. It's a heart issue. So what's the answer? Where do you fall? What side are you swaying towards? Which warning light is being illuminated on your dashboard? And what do you do with a warning light? I hope you don't answer while I just keep driving through it. I hope you pull over. You look at that warning light, you don't ignore it. That warning light is there for a reason. So warning light, number one, the dead tree. If that is you, pull over. Come, come back to the manual, to God's word. Where, where have you lost your love for Christ? Where is your faith truly? Maybe you can't do that on your own. Maybe you're going to need some mechanics that could be your gospel community. Go and talk to them. Maybe it's a trusted friend. The, the conversation could be something like this. Look, I, I'm dead inside. This, this lockdown is, is killing me. Look, I, I confess I'm, I'm doing all the right things. I'm turning up on Zoom. I'm, I'm praying and stuff. But I'm just, I'm just dead inside. Can you, can you come and walk with me and pray with me and help me? It could be, I believe all the right things, but it's, it's not working out in my life. I realise it doesn't challenge my behaviour. I'm just going through the motions. I rarely step out for Christ. There's no way I'd be prepared to sacrifice my family for God, or my lifestyle, or my home, or, or my money. Well, Jesus gives us a key in John 15. Read it later if you can. He tells us to abide in him. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Or elsewhere, Jesus says, Are you thirsty? Come to me and streams of living water will flow from your life. Maybe that's the problem. You've wandered away from Jesus. Come back to him. Come back to him. Let that warning light bring you back. If you're not seeing fruit in your life, if you're not seeing things work out, let it bring you back. Well, maybe your warning light number two. Maybe you're sticking wrong fruit on the tree. You're going through the motions outwardly. It all looks great. Your time in the morning with God, you're um, doing that. Tick. You're turning up on the Zoom at GC. Tick. You're turning up to the prayer meetings at 10 a.m. every day. Tick. You're reading your Bible. Tick. We're ticking all these things off. But inside, <laughs> we're dead. That's not where God wants us to be either. So let that warning light force you to your knees. Be honest with him. I need you, Jesus. I can't keep up with this pretense, this, this falseness, this, this mask that I'm putting out there. I need your help. You are the bread of life, Jesus. I am so hungry. Please feed me. Produce this in my life. I can't do it, Jesus. Forgive me. 
We need forgiveness. We need to repent as well for hiding, for pretending. Forgive me for looking at my works and not looking at your son. Please help me. Steve mentioned last week that it's God's spirit in us. And that is so true. That's what we need. It's not that we have to go out and pull up our bootstraps. We need God's spirit working in us. And so as we unite to Christ by that faith, that persuasion of God, that is what's going to work out and produce fruit in our life. That's what James and Paul are saying. So as I draw this to a close, let me read these verses from Titus 3, which I think sum it up. Verse 4 to 8. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Saviour. He wants to pour his Spirit out on you. Verse 7, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Amen. That's what Jesus enabled by his coming and his dying and his resurrection. His spirit poured out on all believers. So brothers and sisters, if the spirit is nudging you this morning, please respond to it. Please reach out. Please call someone today. Please pray with someone. Please pray with me now as we close. So Father, I want to thank you that this faith is a gift from you. But may we have that true saving faith that produces that fruit in our lives. Not that we muster that up, but that you produce that in us, Jesus. So forgive us where we've wandered away from that faith. Help us. Lord, if you're nudging people this morning, please would you help them to respond. Please help us, Holy Spirit, not to ignore you, not to harden our hearts. But would you pour your spirit out on all believers this morning. And if there's those that don't know you, call them, give them that gift of faith even this morning. Jesus, we love you and we need you, so come and do your work. It's for your glory, Jesus, I pray all these things in your mighty and life-giving and wonderful name. Amen. Amen.